Lockdown Diary with Jack Kirby Lure, episode 24. Hello everyone, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, thanks for asking. Um, I'm recording this on the afternoon of the 11th of May, uh, it's a Monday. Um, I, I recorded uh, a diary entry last night. Um, uh, in fact, as I was walking the dog as usual, but it was so, I was listening back and editing it this morning and, um, I know I'm not exactly, uh, especially, you know, particular about the quality of the recording, uh, that has been quite windy and distorted some of them. And certainly when I've had conversations, they've often been a little bit echoey or whatever, but, um, so I'm not exactly super high standard with this. But unfortunately, it was just so windy on the recording. It was just it was just unlistenable, really. Unfortunately, which is a shame because I talked at length for about half an hour on a couple of subjects. So I'm going to kind of recap what I did, and hopefully this is coming out a bit better. I'm down at the bottom of the garden. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's uh, <laughs> it's an improvement. Um, but yeah, I was just had some reflections on Boris Johnson's. Um, announcement last night and just a couple of overviews of some films i watched last week so boris johnson came on telly last night about uh, just after seven or seven o'clock ish uh with um his update on the lockdown and i felt i felt it was a very mixed message at best and my response to it was fairly mixed as well so um johnson I'll start with the stuff to his credit, I suppose. He said he was quite firm that we're not lifting the lockdown, uh, which was welcome from my perspective. Um, he also said um, he laid out these five categories uh, under which, you know, restrictions can be eased. So, uh, which I thought was, again, quite useful, I suppose, and a good way of demonstrating what we need to be seeing before any progress progress you know before any changes can happen so the uh the five different categories what he laid out i'm just frantically trying to get them up on my uh on my telephone right so first category was uh, sufficient critical care uh capacity across the uk so nhs capacity basically uh, a sustained and consistent fall in daily deaths, uh, the rate of infection decreasing, testing and PPE able to meet demand, uh, and adjustments to measures will not risk a second peak that overwhelms the NHS. So they're, they're all fairly sensible, I think, and obviously um, measurable, um, certainly within a point. Um, so yeah, I, I felt, you know, if all of those things are being met or going down, then slight adjustments to lockdown can be made so far so good he also laid out this um uh, <laughs> uh nando's chili heat wave score uh of the covid alert levels so five red is material risk of overwhelming the nhs which apparently would have happened if we hadn't gone into lockdown i'm sh- uh, no doubt it would um and green number one COVID-19 no longer present in the UK. So until there's a vaccine, that ain't going to happen. So we can expect, um, I guess, to be at level two, three or whatever, um, 
you know, for at least a year or so, or however long it takes to make a vaccine. Um, and apparently at the moment we're somewhere between four and three. So, you know, that's useful information, I suppose, as well. Fairly arbitrary scale, because if anyone who watched it would, uh, last night would have seen the, uh, the uh, little speedometer sort of wavering between the three and the four, so I don't know. <laughs> Is it three or is it four? Or do we have half of these measures? Uh, who knows? Anyway, so again, that seemed like a useful a useful barometer of just a shorthand way of saying where we're at with the, with the pandemic, I guess. And I assume, but it wasn't really made clear, the shifting from stay at home to stay alert. I guess what? You're, you have to be alert to what level we're at, I guess. Anyway, so that kind of made sense. Uh, and he said, he specifically said that uh, whilst he acknowledges the the potential damage to the economy that you know responses by the government have to be led by public health not economic decisions which again i completely agree with and i think it would be criminal to do so otherwise so that's where, <laughs> where my uh, appreciation for his announcements kind of ends um because immediately after saying these things he said what could happen from today monday is that people that can't work at home are encouraged to go back to work and he specifically said construction workers in this now i you know he's he's laid out his rating i don't specifically see what's changed yes the nhs hasn't been overwhelmed but and you know deaths are falling but i don't know if that's sustained and consistent they've only been falling for a bit for a week so is that does that meet that the rate of infection has to decrease and obviously we know PPE is still a problem um, and we have to make adjustments that aren't going to result in a second wave so I can't see how letting some people back to work now is going to result in I don't see how that justifies reducing the lockdown to that extent um, and yeah I don't really know who it covers because he, he went on to say that um, or, retail and then hospitality those industries wouldn't be going back to work um until sort of june and then early july for the for hospitality so okay so you said construction workers but if you don't if you can't work at home i suspect the vast majority of people that accounts for work in retail or hospitality restaurants pubs cinemas bowling alleys what have you um so I, I, apart, yeah, I don't really know who it is that is being sent back to work specifically. All obviously, obviously, like all computer-based office workers, by and large, can work at home, including myself. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess you could say like sole trader people, plumbers, uh, handymen, <laughs> uh, uh, electricians. But as, you know, as far as I'm aware, most of them already have been working we certainly had a plumber in i think they counted themselves as key workers not unreasonably so yeah who this accounts for apart from construction workers i'm not really sure the other sort of criteria was that they can go back to work providing their employer can make sure it's a safe work environment um <laughs> which to say he announced that on sunday evening and said that could be happening from monday so that <laughs> gave you all of an evening's notice if you're an employer whose employees are suddenly expecting to come back in to make your workplace safe how that affects construction or anything else i don't really know uh, it may shock you but i've not worked on a 
construction site. Um, I guess I know, we could be talking. I've worked in a factory. We could be talking about factory workers here, but um, but yeah, I, in terms of making it safe, I presume that means somehow disinfecting every single surface a single employee has worked on. If another one's going to then work on it, I presume that involves social distancing still. So if you can work on a construction site whilst maintaining six feet of space between people, is that possible? I don't know. Um, I presume it means having some level of masks and things. Uh, you know, the NHS is struggling to get them, so how private sectors might do that as well is, or if they should, whilst the NHS still needs them, is um, is a question I would raise. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that I, I felt that was too soon to make that announcement, and I don't really understand why, why we've got there based on the criteria that he set out. Um, he also said that potentially, well, from Wednesday, people could chill out in parks for as much as they want to, which, again, I don't really see what's changed. Like, you know, the infection hasn't gone away. If anything, there are more people in the country who are infected with COVID, whether they're aware of it or not, than, we, than there was, you know, in mid-March when the lockdown came in. So that's definitely true. So there's actually more people around that can pass it on and give it and receive it. Um, there's no vaccine. So I don't see what's changed that allows people to then spend more time in public spaces. It just seems stupid. I feel like the speech, I feel like the speech was made to say, I think it said every, something, a bit of everything what, that people want to hear. So the people that want the lockdown to last longer, I feel like there was stuff in there, like I've just said, that they would appreciate and people that want to get people out of the lockdown and back into saving the all-important economy, obviously they got to hear what they want as well. So it's sort of, I don't know, I don't understand, you can't really, those two messages don't go hand in hand. So yeah, it, it seems like he's telling a lot of people what they want to hear rather than really what they need to hear. Um, <laughs> my... I don't know. I kind of have a very cynical, probably not very realistic theory, perhaps, you know, he makes a slight, slight reduction and then there is an increase in, um, in people uh, with catching it and then he can say, oh well, look, that's just failing on my reduced number of infections criteria and we're going back to a proper lockdown and we're increasing it or anything. <sighs> I, I don't know. It's sort of a shifting of the blame thing making it a scientific approach rather than just I'm big bad Boris Johnson telling people they can't go outside. Maybe there's something in that. I mean, from what I've read and heard on different bits of media is Johnson is more in favour of the lockdown than some of his cabinet or his uh, backbenchers or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't really buy it. It just seems weird and inconsistent, vague, and no one seems to be happy about about it um and just the timing of it was strange as well like i don't know i feel like it should you should, if there's going to be any changes to the lockdown situation either great or small they should kind of be given more than an evening's notice really so employers and things can prepare so yeah it, i <sighs> very problematic a lot of problems in that um in that I mean, to retread a bit like what I said with Ben the other day, you know, the 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 livelihood versus living 
argument. I just, it just, I don't get how um, anyone can be happy with a system that you know relies on the aforementioned bowling alleys and things to stay open so that people don't die. I know that's incredibly simplistic, but that's sort of what we're talking about. Like, if if people's lives, whether that's by the failing of the economy or because there's a you know communicable disease that's killing people out there in the world, if we have to one way or another open up coffee shops and top shop and uh, uh, forbidden planet so that people don't die, then there's something fundamentally wrong and we need to um, address that. <laughs> it's very telling that the devolved nations A, hadn't been briefed on what would be in this announcement and B, are sticking with what they've said already. I mean, that's very worrying. I mean, you know, even if... Um, even if uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland agreed with what Johnson's laid out, it would be a bit more um, reassuring to me, anyway, if they, uh, you know, if there was a united front. Like that, I, 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 there doesn't seem to be anything good from, um, you know, the UK being divided on the approach from a political leadership point of view. But hey, <laughs> welcome to 2020. Um, so, yeah, that was my response to Boris Johnson's announcement. So, the other things that have been happening recently is, in the last week or so, I've watched two films, which is pretty good for me. Um, I used to watch a lot of films, now I don't seem to find any time to do that. But yeah, I, got, I watched two in the last week, so that's great. So, um, those films were... The Exorcist and Jojo Rabbit, and I'm going to talk a little bit about both of them now. Um, so I watched The Exorcist because um, one of my favourite podcasts, probably my favourite podcast, Reply All, which is ostensibly a show about the internet, but it's really sort of just a selection of human stories, kind of uh, told through the lens of digital lives. Um, <laughs> sorry, that sounds really up itself doesn't it it's just a good show uh, vaguely about the internet <laughs> so um yeah uh, reply all they've done a sort of spin-off podcast whereby um one of the hosts um is a horror movie fan and the other one is not he is terrified of horror movies and they're sort of setting out a program to wean him onto being able to watch horror films and the first step in the program uh, was The Exorcist. So I've, um, another podcast that I listen to, uh, Kermode and Mayo's Film Review, anyone that's familiar with that will probably know that Mark Kermode is a big, big advocate for The Exorcist. It's his favourite film and something he's written about academically and made documentaries about. Um, so I'm a fan of that. So uh, I would suggest at least 10 years ago, <laughs> I picked up The Exorcist on DVD in a charity shop and it has subsequently stayed on my shelves and not been watched until now. Um, so I thought, well, I want to keep up with the um, with the new Reply All podcast, which is called The Scaredy Cats Horror Show. Um, so I thought I'd better watch it finally. So I did, and I enjoyed it. Newsflash. Well-regarded film, loved by many, I liked. <laughs> so yeah, it was good. Um, for those that haven't seen it, um, you know, uh, which was me until quite recently, it is about a young girl that gets possessed by 
demons, the devil, and they call in an exorcist to sort it out. Probably could have guessed most of that from the title, really. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I guess one thing, I guess something I sort of took away from it is that, um, although I hadn't seen it, because it is such a influential film and something that has pervaded pop culture for decades, you kind of do know that, that what happens in it, even without having seen it, and there's obviously scenes and moments that are talked about either because they're spoofed or parodied on things like The Simpsons or whatever, or, you know, scariest moments in horror lists and things like that. You know, it, it, you're aware of kind of what happens, but I wasn't aware of just how much stuff happens before we get to The Exorcist and the little girl... Um, doing horrible things on the bed so there's a, quite a lot of backstory like her mother um, tries to seek medical advice and goes through a sort of a litany of medical professionals until she rules out everything apart from the um, possibility of demonic possession you also get to see a bit of the background life of uh, father Karis, the priest that um, is involved with with the family um, and yeah that's sort of placed the characters and the events a little bit more in the real world than you might typically get with a lot of sort of supernatural kind of horror films, um, which I appreciated and enjoyed. Um, I, I I do consider myself a horror film fan. Like I've been to the Fright Fest film festival quite a few times, but like with so many of my interests, I'm you know I'm not the hardcore. I don't think I'm any uh, you know I'm not the number one fan of everything. I like a lot of different things, but never to a full amount so there are you know the list of films that I haven't seen horror or otherwise is quite long so the next one is Nightmare on Elm Street which I haven't watched either so I'm going to try and watch that before the next podcast but yeah um it was good to tip that off the list I did enjoy it I thought um Linda Blair as Regan the little girl I thought she was absolutely brilliant it's a fantastic physical performance and uh performance in general I guess um she she's amazing especially given how quite how young she was uh, when they filmed it and the other thing that kind of amused me uh, was uh, Max von Sydow is the sort of senior exorcist priest figure um, he was in the film and the film was made in the early mid 70s 73 I think or something and uh, I know he's recently died um, in the last couple of years but uh yeah, the fact that even it, at that long ago he was sort of being referred to as a bit too old and a bit past it, or portraying characters that uh, are considered old and uh, frail a little bit. They have a discussion about that at one point. That kind of put a smile on my face that for the last 40 odd years or whatever it's been, he's been playing older, older characters. Um, yeah, I just was fairly amused by that. Um, and he was good in it as well. Um, so, yeah. The second film that Lauren and I both watched um, uh, on Saturday was Jojo Rabbit. So that's a much more recent film, um, directed by Taika Waititi, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, we chose it because Lauren is also a big fan of him and wants to watch more of his films. So that was on her list. Um, again, for anyone that isn't already aware, uh, Jojo Rabbit is set towards the end of the Second World War and it's about a little 10 year old boy, German boy, who is obsessed with the Nazis and Germany and 
uh, he has fully bought into all the Nazi propaganda and stuff and loves it. He's a Nazi fanboy, basically. Um, he, to the extent that he actually has an imaginary friend in the in the form of Adolf Hitler, which is played by um, YTC. Uh, he's sort of a goofy... I, I, I hesitate to say funny, but he's a sort of a goofy version of Hitler, I suppose. Um, and yeah, so he's in the Nazi... Uh, Nazi youth, Hitler youth, sorry, um, and loving life as a young Nazi until he discovers that his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is um, is secretly harbouring a young Jewish girl in in the house uh, hidden away, um, and his sort of uh, worldview is kind of thrown into conflict a little bit because he thinks it's his duty to report um report this jewish girl uh but then there's obviously conflict because either he and his mum might get into trouble for that uh but also you know what he's in conflict with his mother about why she would have done that in the first place and he obviously starts to question question his worldview so um i uh, <laughs> I'm going to arbitrarily highlight two connections between the Exorcist and Jojo Rabbit. So firstly, uh, both got excellent performances from child actors. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the, the, um, the lad that plays Jojo's name to hand, but he does a fantastic job. Really, really good. Particularly, again, because he is so young and because he's playing a character that, you know, obviously he's 10, so you, you make some allowances and things. but basically like he's a nazi so you, you don't like him he's not necessarily that sympathetic so it's great that he takes us on that journey uh as the cliche would have it um and yeah you sort of do you do enjoy watching him and supporting him even if he's a misguided idiot for a lot of the film uh, i won't spoil any plot details but i you know <laughs> i mean the fact that he questions his worldview and perhaps maybe changes his opinions and things a little bit i think you have to kind of take as a given right sorry if you don't take that as a given but anyway <laughs> so that was fantastic the other connection as well was uh the exorcist and jojo rabbit both met with controversy upon their release so um yeah uh, so, a lot of people's problem with Jojo Rabbit when it came out, which I am sympathetic to, I understand, even if I don't necessarily agree, is that um, it's problematic to portray Nazis uh, for laughs, basically, I think. That's a very simplistic way of putting it, but I hope it kind of captures it in a nutshell. So all the Nazis in the film, of which there are a lot, um, they're all varyingly stupid, uh, comical, um goofy characters and you're laughing at them rather than with them but obviously their ideology which is prevalent today as much as well not as much but more prevalent today than it has been in the last several decades unfortunately um you know um is playing is portraying their ideology and stuff in a humorous film appropriate um yeah i i understand that and i'm sympathetic to that and I think it's all in sort of the tone of the way you portray it. And I think Taika Waititi, for me anyway, I think he gets the tone right. I don't, I don't think, I think his messaging is clear. Nazis are bad. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's lost. I don't think it's compromised by it being in a 
in a comedy film, which I think more, you know, it plays with a lot of different genres, but I think first and foremost, it is a comedy. Um, I, I, for me, I, I, and maybe that's just my bias because I'm sympathetic because I like Taika Waititi. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that message was lost. I thought it was strong. There are some, uh, in amongst the comedy, there's some very hard hitting scenes as well. Um, it does play a little bit with the trope of the good Nazi as well. So there's a, there is a, a character in there that doesn't act in the way you might typically expect. And is that appropriate? Is that, you know, is that something that we need to be entertaining? Yeah, I'm not sure. But for me, the film worked. And I, you know, uh, if, and I can perfectly understand why it wouldn't work. And I, I don't have an issue with that. If you didn't like it, I didn't think it got the right message across, then that's fine by me. Um, but yeah, I would suggest if you haven't seen the film and have been put off perhaps by any of that controversy or questions around it, I would suggest giving it a watch because I, I don't think there's any harm to be done to seeing it firsthand to form your opinion. If you don't, if you do think it was too problematic, then I don't know. Oh, yeah, it'd be interesting. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I like that. And I thought, um, you know, um, away from those issues, I thought Watiti's like a YTT's direction was good as well. I felt, um, yeah, it's quite stylized and interesting. It was a little bit sort of um, uh, Wes Anderson-ish as well, who, of whom I am a big fan. So there's quite a lot of quite well choreographed and stylized and structured setting and um, construction of shots and things like that. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that. Uh, I thought it was good. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. So um, that was sort of it, really. Um, not too much else going on. I've been doing some scrapbooking recently, which has been a nice little distraction. I'm trying to um, sort out all my photo files on my computer. If anyone's got any tips about how to do that, then please let me know. At the moment, I'm just sort of I copied everything, so there's a backup, and I'm kind of dumping all my photos into one single folder so I can try and delete duplicates and sort things chronologically and get rid of anything rubbish but in terms of how I file them thereafter I don't really know so if anyone's got any advice on that I would really appreciate it you can message me at Jack Kirby for that on Twitter um, yeah uh, as I said the the chat with Ben which I really enjoyed it was good to catch up on him he's a funny guy Lauren certainly uh, was laughing quite a lot at that uh, conversation that we had so yeah that was great and I think we'll, we'll ch I'll chat with Ben again at some point um, if anyone else is interested in having a chat with me for one of these things then do do let me know again just Twitter me is probably the best way to do it um, but yeah I'm open to that particularly if you're I don't know if your experience of the lockdown and the pandemic might be a little bit more unusual or if you're in a different country or something like that it would be great to learn more about that with you and just generally chat um and yeah i think the only other thing to tell you guys is i made a pizza the other night using a yogurt and flour based dough which my friend Haley told me how to do which was pretty simple you just mix yogurt with flour until you've kind of got a dough uh, and it was really good. <laughs> um, it's very easy made to make a dough, and I made a nice pizza sauce on it, and put some nice cheese and peppers and things on it, and it came out fab. So yeah, 
uh, that got my seal of approval. Yogurt based dough, my hot tip for 2020. Anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap this up now. Uh, as I say, I kind of, uh, it's quite nice in a way because I sort of practiced all this last night. So I've barely given you a slightly more concise and uh, to the point and slightly more considered viewpoint on the, both the films and the Johnson. So uh, yeah, um, but hopefully I won't waste my time doing this twice again, too many, too much. Anyway, thank you ever so much for listening and stay safe and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.